1: 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month.
0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me as always is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Right? Right. I am here, sir. <laughs> Jerry, are you here? Shh. Yes, she's here. Uh, this is then stuff you should know. Not right. not the myth, the legend. That's right. The
1: legendary. We should do a show where we bust myths. We're about to do that right now. No, like a TV show where we go out and we take myths and we bust them, and that's a great idea. You know? Yeah,
2: like we could blow certain things up. we could have like a a little assemblage of people who kind of help us out sometime and maybe spin off and get their own shows
1: that's not a bad idea huh
2: Hmm. i i'm gonna wear a beret no yeah i'm gonna do it i've been thinking for years about whether or not to just go ahead and wear a beret out in public i do at home very frequently
1: i would uh, you should only wear a beret if you grow a walrus mustache
2: that would be a good look
1: yeah maybe i'll go back to classes too might as well. Huh. What will you do? I don't know. I think we're on to something, though. I'll just say my same affable self. and But with a, a, a slightly more stylized haircut? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. All right. I think we're on to something. Okay. Let's pitch it to the bosses. Yeah. <laughs> Which company? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Discovery? Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay. The Myth Dudes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. All
2: right. So, Chuck... To make a million dollars. <laughs> we are. Uh, you feeling pretty good? I am. I'm glad. How are you? I'm good too. Your Mickey Mouse t-shirt is cheering me up. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I'm glad something is. I'm cheerful. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I don't really have much of an intro for this aside from, I don't know if you know this or not, but I have a little video series that I do. Yeah. It's called Don't Be Dumb.
1: This is virtually a podcast version of that show.
2: That It struck me like that as well. Mm-hmm. But even better than that, it is one that we're doing together.
1: Yeah, and I think there was a couple of these you've actually covered too, right? Yeah. yeah.
2: Like, um, is uh, your blood blue in your Spoiler. veins? Spoiler. Yeah, we don't want to... G- actually, I- you know what? You should go ahead and cover that one.
1: Okay. Because I think you're the expert. I've always heard...
2: I'm pretty far from an expert, man.
1: In elementary school, that... Uh, your veins, your blood is actually blue because, see, that right under my arm there, my forearm, mm. you can see it. It's blue until it reaches, like if you get cut, and when it gets oxygen,
2: right, boom, turns red. Yeah, and it's it's supposedly your veins that are blue because they're the ones that contain deoxygenated blood, right? That's what I always heard. It's already used up from your organs and tissues, and it's en route back to your lungs to yeah. become oxygenated again, right? Uh, that's not true. There's, what? there's no part of... Again, Chuck, I'm not an expert. Are you saying
1: David Renzo in the
2: fourth grade lied to me? Yeah, Yeah. he's a dirty liar, David Renzo. (laughs) Um, Your blood at no point is ever blue. The the more oxygen it has in it, the deeper the red, right? But there's no blue blood in you. The whole thing is an optical trick, right? So your skin um, is translucent, see through, and it really doesn't have a color. It's your fat. That gives your skin its color. Okay. And fat tends to have a kind of a crazy effect on light, like it scatters it in all sorts of different directions, right? Yeah. And um, depending on how deep a blood vessel is, that will have an effect on what color that blood vessel looks like, because some colors of light, some wavelengths are reflected better than others, right? Okay. So if you have a blue blood vessel, it's usually very close to the surface. Yeah. And that means that all of the red light has been absorbed, and what's being reflected back and kind of scattered about is the blue. That's all there is to it. There's no blue blood in your veins. It's just
1: what an optical really illusion. And your family comes from wealth.
2: Well, that's more
1: of a figurative <laughs> thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I think it would be pretty creepy, now that I think about it, if everyone had, like, red streaks of veins running through their body. Yeah. I think we're just so used to seeing blue, if we saw red all of a sudden, it would be creepy.
2: Well, you can see. I mean, some veins are red, you know, depending on the depth as well. Oh, yeah? Um, you can see some red veins every once in a while, or red blood vessels. But for the most part, the ones that really stand out are blue. You don't think they're creepy in and of themselves? The blue? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a little creepy. It is a little creepy. But anyway, the point is, You don't have any blue blood. It's all just what color is absorbed and what color is reflected by the amount of fat and the depth of the blood vessel.
1: Okay. I hope some kids are listening to this
2: one. Yeah. And if they're not, hey, you can go watch Don't Be Dumb on our website.
1: Yeah. And I think most of these I did, it's like it all goes to elementary school and you hear from various kids or sometimes teachers. Yeah. Get it wrong, you know? Yeah. Uh, All right. I got one for you. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with the body... You lose most of your heat through your head. Yeah, you ever heard that? Oh yeah. This one goes back to uh, apparently two things: some experiments the army did mm-hmm. in the nineteen fifties, where they dressed up uh, volunteers to give them a little whirl at Arctic survival. <laughs> and um, there was a
2: special field trip.
1: There was, and they put them in the big survival suits, you know, super warm. Uh, put them out in the in the cold, but they left their heads uncovered. And so most of the heat was lost to the heads. That ended up in an army training manual, a survival manual uh, from 1970, which said 40 to 45 percent of body heat comes from uh, the head that you lose. So that's true then? It is not true. Oh. The reason they lost all that body heat through the head is because that was the only part that didn't have anything on it. Right. It's as simple as that. Uh, you don't lose, I guess, actually your head, your, your face and your chest are a little more sensitive a temperature change but um, that doesn't mean that you lose more heat there though right you lose the same amount of heat um no more than 10 percent of your body heat's going to go through your head
2: because it's proportional to surface area your head makes up about 10 percent of the surface area of your body therefore you lose about 10 percent of your body heat through that
1: yeah like do the same experiment with a ski mask on And naked from the waist down. (laughs) And (laughs) And see if you don't get arrested. Yeah. Well, a few things might happen in
2: that
1: that situation. (laughs) Just
2: stand there and wave to all the skiers. It's an experiment. You're doing
1: great. They're not going to say you lose most of your body heat through your genitals in that
2: case. I think had the army been a little more swinging back in the 50s, (laughs) you never know. They may have come up with that experiment, and
1: that would be the myth. So we're not saying don't wear a toque out in the cold. You should, just as you should wear your parka. Yeah, just bundle up. Bundle up. Yeah. Buttercup. You got one? I do have one. Okay.
2: I like this one. I know you don't, but I I didn't know this. Um Mount Everest is the tallest mountain in the world. You didn't know that that wasn't true? No.
1: I think that's the one I heard early on as just that, like little kids love saying things like that. They also love saying that's actually not the case. I,
2: I've never encountered that little kid. Yeah,
1: I knew that kid. It was also David Orenzo. Man, that kid is, <laughs> he was on the ball. He was terrible. Yeah.
2: Um, so the, the, a lot of people are saying, well, what is it then? What's the tallest mountain? Hold your horses. Uh, it is true that Mount Everest is the highest mountain. It's just not the tallest mountain, right? Because of the way geologists, uh, and geographers measure mountains.
1: Okay. So For, from sea level.
2: Yeah. That's highest. Highest is the amount of the mountain that is above sea level. And Everest has that one licked. It's the highest mountain at 29,029 feet above sea level, right? Yes. But to measure which mountain is tallest, that goes from the base of the mountain to the summit. And in this case, that's uh, Mauna Kea in Hawaii. This thing is huge. That makes it the tallest mountain, even though most of it is underwater. If you took away all the water and the idea of sea level at all and just measured this mountain from the base to the top, you have a 33,465 feet tall mountain.
1: Yeah, which is about 4,000 feet higher than Everest. That's substantial. Right, but above sea level, as far as
2: highness goes, it's only 13,799 feet high.
1: Yeah, but I kind of feel bad for Mount Achaia because... It never gets the dew it deserves No, because of all that stupid water. And there's
2: another way to measure a mountain, too, um, by the distance from the center of the earth. You know, the earth is not a perfect sphere. Yeah. And it's widest at its circumference, i.e. the equator. Um, and there is a mountain in Ecuador called the Chimboraro. And it is um, a great many meters, which I forgot to write down, from the center of the earth. Wow. So if you if you think about just the if you cut the earth, yeah, cut a mountain in half, and we're able to core the earth at the same time, you would see like oh this mountain is further than this one. That makes sense. It makes sense in a in a geog- geographer's way.
1: Yeah, I think um, also too the uh, although there's really not a, a gauge for this, but just how striking a mountain might appear. Yeah, You probably should go with Kilimanjaro Sure, because it rises from the flat plains of Tanzania. And that's like the only thing out there if you've ever seen pictures or mm-hmm. been there. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. And it's not like Everest doesn't stand out. But when you're in the Himalayas, you're a little bit taller than your brothers next door. But uh, Kilimanjaro is at 19,340 feet. When everything else is flat, that's pretty remarkable.
2: Yeah, just rising right up from the plain.
1: Alright, so go mountains.
2: Just just watch what you say, everybody, is the point of that one. Tallest, highest, choose your words. Carefully.
1: Alright, this is a good one. And this is one that I think most everyone believes that the Great Wall of China is the only man made object visible from space.
2: I did this one on Don't Be Dumb too. Did you? This is I love this one.
1: Yeah, this one is wrong on every level. Yeah. Because not only can you see other things, you can't really see the Great Wall of China. It's dubelé wrong. Right. So
2: um, you can, like you said, see other things. There's also a a big problem with this is the idea that you can see uh, the Great Wall of China from space. Well, where in
1: space? Exactly. That's pretty broad.
2: There's also like lower Earth orbit is 135 miles above sea level. Yeah. Um, and apparently from lower earth orbit, you can see all sorts of things with the naked eye. And if you have binoculars, you can really see stuff like trucks and things like that, but you can see airports, dams, um, you can see roadways. Yeah. Cities are obviously very clear, especially at night. Yeah. So there's all sorts of stuff you can see. Um, one of the things you have a tremendous amount of trouble seeing and that you can't see with the naked eye from space is, the Great Wall of China. The one thing
1: that they say is the only thing you can see. Yeah. How about that for irony? And and why, Chuck? Well, one reason is because it's um it's made up of rocks local to the area. Yeah. And so it kinda looks like everything else in the area. Yeah, it blends
2: in just as head.
1: Yeah, and it's big and it's long, so you would think I mean I see where the rumor got started because it's one of the great wonders of the world and it is huge in scope. It's long. Yeah. But it's narrow. It's like 13,000 miles long. Yeah. But it's like 30
2: feet across. Right. So it's long, but it's not necessarily big. You know where this one got its origin? In
1: 1938. Yeah. And uh, it, no one knew at that point.
2: No, it was uh, Robert Ripley. And Ripley's, believe it or not, wrote in a column that you could see the Great Wall of China from the moon. Is that what it was? Yeah, and everybody just thought it was true. because everybody was, was in the 30s? So, yeah. Everyone was so gullible back then. Uh, and it wasn't until um, NASA's astronauts made it to the moon that they were able to confirm that, no, you can't see the Great Wall of China. But the Chinese
1: didn't believe it until they sent their own people into yeah. space in 2003. They were pretty bummed, too. Yeah, uh, You can't see anything man-made from the moon. No. That's way up there. Uh, they say, um, Alan Bean, an Apollo 12 astronaut, said, the only thing you can see from the moon is a beautiful sphere, mostly white, some blue Patches of yellow and every once in a while some green vegetation, but nothing man-made at all. all. Right.
2: So, um, but that's where the or the original version of it was you could see the Great Wall of China from the moon. Yeah. Then we went to the moon and it was downgraded to you can see it from space.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, they now they're trying to prove like, I think the Chinese took photos from lower earth orbit and they were like, y- you see there, you can make out that's the Great Wall of China. All right. But, um, you know, it took, Like hunting and pecking and poking around and.
2: And like a hundred millimeter lens, I think.
1: Yeah. So. Doesn't count. Doesn't count.
2: If you can't see it with the naked eye from lower earth orbit, you can't see it from
1: space. Dang straight. Okay, I got one for you that supposedly you've never heard. (sighs) Let me hear it. And we're gonna get to it right after this message break. Oh, okay. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater dot com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. dot com, and we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh?
2: Yeah, text stuff to two five one two nine two eighty eight eighty seven, and you'll get two dollars off a twelve-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky.
1: Okay. So let's talk about this one. Okay. Have you ever heard, uh, like on a trip to like an abbey or monastery, this is where it usually comes up as yeah. a kid, uh-huh. like stained glass is maybe thicker at the bottom or leaded glass and windows, that glass is a very slow moving liquid?
2: No, I hadn't heard that. And really? I can tell you, had I been on that field trip, I would have yelled at the docent for lying. Really? Yeah. Even at that age? Uh, Yeah. See, I would have gone, wow. Yeah, even at that age, I would have been like, that is preposterous.
1: Well, you, sir, are much smarter than I was at that age. Uh, it is not a slow moving liquid at all. It is an amorphous solid.
2: I've never heard that before.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not the same. It's not a liquid. It's not a real solid. Um, but
2: I've never heard somebody call it a slow moving liquid and explain like wavy glass like that.
1: Yeah, well that, it comes from how it's actually was made back then. Yeah. Uh, up until the mid 1800s, uh, there was a process called the crown method where you blow the glass, flatten it out, heat it, spin it, um. Smack it on the bottom. <laughs> oh no! Uh, and you've got a sheet of glass. And it's pretty cheap, but it's rippled, and some parts yeah. are thicker than others. It and gives it's you not migraines
2: exact. when you look at nature.
1: I have the windows in my house do that. Yeah. Some of them.
2: Yeah, you, mean and I lived in a craftsman that was like that. Yeah. And they were the wind blew right through them.
1: Yep. It's pretty weird. Uh, so the difference in, uh, in a liquid and solid is all about molecular structure. Uh, solid has arranged molecules in a crystalline structure. When you heat that up, the mol- uh, molecules are going to vibrate and then it will eventually reach a melting point uh, when those little structures break down. Uh, liquid becomes a solid when it gets cooled. Mm-hmm. And if you super cool a liquid, it will remain that way um, beyond like the freezing point. So glass is an amorphous solid. It's not quite as organized as the crystal, mm-hmm. but it does not freeze, so it's more organized than a liquid.
2: So like in any form... In any version of its solid form, glass is an amorphous solid, not just when it's wavy.
1: I think it's just an amorphous solid. Huh. We need to do one on glass. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah. We could tag team it with our mirrors.
2: My uh my hometown was the is like the capital, the glass capital of the world. Oh yeah? The
1: glass city. Toledo, the glass city? Yeah. Huh. Uh gotta be proud of something. That and Tony Pecos. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we got a few more, but I think we should take a little message break, and then we will wrap it up. Stuff you
0: In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Okay, what else you got?
2: Uh, I've got one. Um so uh have you ever heard that if you see a little baby bird mm-hmm. on the ground yeah you you pick it up that's it for that bird like you've just signed its death warrant because your stink is on the bird and when the mother comes back it'll smell the fact that a human's touched this bird and a now it's, human. it's spoiled somehow and the bird will be rejected by its mother and mm-hmm. starved to death so you pretty much have to take the bird indoors and raise it as your own child. I've heard that actually.
1: Yeah. Did yeah. you ever do that? Um, well, I've told the story about when I accidentally killed the bird as a lifeguard when mm. I drowned it. No. <laughs> I think I've told it. I found a bird in the pool and rescued it out and, uh, the bird was still alive, but, um, seemingly dehydrated. So mm-hmm. I got a straw and would, you know, get a little <laughs> liquid in the straw and the bird would, peck at it, and drink. Yeah. And I was like, man, this bird is thirsty because it's just drinking, drinking, drinking. Right. It it drank so much water it died. Oh, man. And it kept going back for more, and I thought I was doing the right thing, and the bird just quit moving. And here's the funny part of this story. All these kids, I'm surrounded by like 12-year-olds at this pool, and I pick up the bird, and I notice it's like kind of fat and bloated now, (laughs) and when I picked it up and- with any I didn't even squeeze it. Water shot out of its mouth like a <laughs> squirt gun. <laughs> I've never heard of that one. Screamed in horror. I'm sure. Because over the course of six hours I, I drowned this bird that I took out of the pool. Man, drowned it a on land. On dry it land. Was, yeah, it's one of my great all time um awful stories.
2: I I I never did that. Yeah. Um I raised squirrels before, little yes. squirrlings. But Yumi has a pretty good story of, like, picking up a little bird that she found on the grass that, you know, obviously was going to die if she didn't care for it. Yeah. And she was a pretty little kid. um, And she got a hold of the phone number of a local vet and started calling them and asking them what to do. Uh-huh. And then she'd go do what they said and then she'd call them back again. And go do what they said again. And uh, apparently her mom figured out what was going on. It's like, stop calling this vet. So she found the number to another vet, started calling them. And stop then calling she, this she vet. called like one and then called the other and she kept pestering these people. Wow. And they're trying to help apparently, but they're also like, this bird's a goner. Right. So they said, you need to keep the bird warm. So this is at a time when microwaves were pretty um, new. Oh no. And so she, she didn't kill the bird in the microwave, but like this bird spent a, a few seconds in the microwave heating, <laughs> and she got it out, and um, it was warm. And she uh, wrapped it up and and took care of it, and was really like stressing, like really wanted this bird to live, and was doing yeah. everything she could, and it just didn't work out. Man, you, me, and I—I I can't wait
1: to see her again.
0: Yeah. we
2: actually
1: share very horror, horrific stories. Yeah. Uh, the
2: point of this is that neither one of you should have touched this bird in the first place because. It was probably in the middle of a flying lesson.
1: Yeah, it has nothing to do with your s- human stank and the mother's rejection. Um, yeah, that's another thing. The bird was probably trying to fly, and the mom was probably nearby, allowing that to happen.
2: Yes. So you come along, you see a bird, you assume it fell out of a nest, right? Sure. And you pick it up. And two things just happen. One, you interrupted a flying lesson and kidnapped a, a baby bird. Mm-hmm. And two, um, the idea that you couldn't just put that bird back down after you picked it up because your smell is on it, yeah. is totally false too because birds don't have a very good sense of smell.
1: Yeah, in general, your average yard bird isn't going to uh, know that you had your stank on it or care. No. We're not dirty to them.
2: N- no, and even if we were, they they couldn't really smell us anyway. So the, the whole concept of... Um, the that a mother bird will reject her little birdling. What are they called when they're little, like... Bir- birdlets. <laughs> it's not birdlets. No. Uh, baby birds. Baby birds. Yeah. The The idea that a mother will reject a baby bird, I think, was probably developed to keep little kids from touching them. Probably so. And interrupting a flying lesson or whatever.
1: Yeah, so maybe we should not encourage or discourage people from saying this.
2: Yeah, but at the same time, it kind of backfired because it's like, oh well, I touched it now, I have to kill it
1: in the microwave. <laughs> yeah, I have to to try to take care of it to death. Yeah, and we were both had our hearts in the right place too. Oh sure, except I was like eighteen. <laughs> yeah, that's different. five. D- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, I've got one. Uh, and this one I actually did not know until I studied this. Chameleons. I've always thought, changed their color to blend into their surroundings Yeah. as a form of uh, camouflage. That is not so. That they, is not so. They do change color, but it has nothing to do with that. Um, it is uh, physical or emotional changes. Um, they're like They race. may want to fight. They may want to make love. Right. Uh, it depends, but it has nothing to do with, I'm going to be green because I'm in the grass, or I'm going to be brown because I'm on your deck.
2: No, because they're already pretty camouflaged as it is oh yeah um when they when they change color they kind of go the opposite of being camouflaged and suddenly they're bright orange yeah um and they do that by uh using chromatophores which are pigment containing cells that can move and bend and change to expose one pigment or another and they have layers of these chromatophores That work together in the same way that paint kind of mixes. Yeah. So you have a layer that's yellow and a layer that's red, and like these cells will overlap, and all of a sudden the chameleon's orange.
1: Yeah, it'll just send a signal basically and open up the paint can. Yeah. Sort of like uh, we described in the octopus, Mm -hmm. the coolest animal ever. Yeah. Uh, It's the same deal, chromatophores. Yep. But but um, they
2: not they they don't do it to camouflage
1: themselves. They do it to to fight. Yeah, whereas the octopus does do it to camouflage. Right. Um, yeah, so how about that? Still a cool animal. Sure. Very neat to be able to change color. But um that commercial that you see with the chameleon changing color to blend in with the backgrounds is a lie. Can't remember the... It's a pink commercial. Is it, is it? Yeah. Yeah, well, of course it is. Sure. I think you have one more, don't you? Or do you have two more? I have one more. Okay. Let's hear
2: it. Chuck. You've got one, two, three,
1: four, five senses. Sight, smell, uh, touch, hearing, and what am I forgetting? Taste. Taste. Yeah. And then the sixth sense, which is? The one that lets you know
2: when somebody's looking at you
1: even when you're not facing them. Yeah, like uh, eyes
2: in the back of your head. What is that? Someone's, I don't know, man. That will be understood within our lifetime. You think? Sure.
1: But there are actually way more senses than that, depending on who you ask.
2: Maybe as many as twenty one. Yeah, I saw I saw fourteen to twenty one too. Yeah. Um and those five that we mentioned are now these days referred to as the classical senses. The OGs. But you can take basically human senses and lump them into two categories. You have interoception, which is our sense or awareness of how we're feeling on the inside, and our exteroception, which is um, how we sense the world around us, like temperature or something like that, would be our sensitivity to temperature would be an exteroception sense. Okay. Whereas our awareness that we have to pee or our sense of balance would be interoception.
1: All right. That makes sense. Doesn't it? Yeah. Um, some of the other senses that we have uh, in the skin, we have five different types of nerve endings just in our skin. Yeah. So you can sense heat, cold, pain, itch, and pressure. And you can even sense heat without touching it. So that's its own sense. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like the, it's a different receptor when you touch a hot stove as when you put your hand near a fire. Huh. And uh, so I, those are two separate things.
2: I just assume that there were more of them involved to a lower degree, but it's a different thing. It's
1: a different thing. That's altogether. really cool. Yeah. And that's a more recent finding too, I think.
2: Um, supposedly our um, ability to sense that we need to vomit is one, its own thing as well. Um, yeah. Hunger, or sense of hunger. Sure. Um, basically there's, uh, a whole world of sense experiences that we have that we've just totally overlooked as senses.
1: Yeah. You know? Like I feel hungry. It it just, I'm just hungry. Right. It's actually an actual sense.
2: Yeah. Pretty neat. I think it is.
1: Uh, and I bet you they're going to further, it's not like they discover more, but as they dig in, I think they find that they can, um, break it down more specifically. Is what it is. Right. It's not like, oh, they just discovered you could feel fire when you're near it. They said, oh, we discovered it's an actual separate thing than touching fire. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You got anything else?
2: Oh, I got plenty else, Chuckers. And if people want to hear them and see me act like a strange weirdo. It's really,
1: really pretty. It's one of the best things. <laughs> Thanks,
2: man. <laughs> uh, you can check out Don't Be Dumb on our website. Like You really
1: should watch this, people, because I don't think you understand when Josh says... Watch me being a weirdo, you think, oh, Josh is being silly. <laughs> no, he really is playing this very odd, strange character, and that is, you know, 75% of the enjoyment. Thanks, man. And then the other 25% is you've learned something.
2: You're learning, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so since I said, uh, don't be dumb, that means that I should also tell you to go check out this article on howstuffworks.com. Type, um, false facts, I think will bring this article up. Sure. Because there's a couple we didn't we didn't get to yeah like every top ten
1: list yeah I think we we had covered those previously but if you want to begin yeah. to taste it's on there
2: uh, and uh, since I said search bar that means it's time now friends for listener mail
1: uh, I'm gonna call this anti joke hey guys just listen to the joke podcast which is uh, our live show that we did mm-hmm. called is there a scientific formula for funny
2: how did a podcast fest.
1: That's right. Uh, my friend Derek and I are huge joke fans, punsters, and what have you. One of our favorite jokes is actually called an anti-joke. It's called that because it's so ridiculously not funny and unexpected that the funny part comes from people's reaction.
2: The rest of us call it irritating. So,
1: well, I'm going to tell the joke. Let's okay. go. Get ready to be irritated. <laughs> guy walks into a bar and pauses, and at the end of the bar, there's this dude with a big orange head. And the guy's just kind of sitting there, and the guy asks the bartender, hey, what's up with the guy with the big orange head over there? It's kind of weird. He says, oh, dude, you got to hear the story. Go down there and buy him a drink. He'll tell it to you. I guarantee it. So the guy walks over, and the dude with the big orange head says, so I, I know what you're doing. You probably want to know the story behind my head here. <laughs> and the guy says, well, yeah, if you don't mind, uh, I'll buy you a drink. And he's like, all right, cool. So I've gone over it a million times. It's basically, here's the story. I was walking on the beach one day. I stubbed my toe on something. I looked down, and there was an antique brass lamp. I picked it up and dusted it off a little bit, and... This enormous genie pops out. It's a magic lantern. The genie says, Hey, you release me from my 10,000-year imprisonment. I'm forever in your debt, and I'm going to grant you three wishes as a token of my gratitude. And the man at the bar was like, Wow, what happened, man? This is incredible. And how'd you get the orange head? And he's like, Well, just listen. I said, All right. I got three wishes. I guess my first wish is going to... I want to be really rich fantastically wealthy. And the genie says... All right, your wish is granted. All of a sudden, I have rings on my fingers and a crown on my head. My wallet's full of cash. I've got all these ATM cards and credit cards. I've got a Amex black and a deed to a mansion, and I'm totally loaded. That's rich. So I said, man, this is amazing. Um, I guess for my next wish, I want to be married to... Let's just go ahead and say the most beautiful woman in the world. I want to be married to Kate Upton. <laughs> Boom. Kate Upton is on the beach. The genie says, your wish is granted, the ocean's part, and there she is in her bikini walking toward the guy with a wedding ring on, and they're married.
2: Is that the the person that the guy who
1: wrote this joke? Did he pick Kate Upton? uh uh-huh. No, I did Okay. Well, she's not the most beautiful woman in the world, but she's on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so there's Kate Upton. They're married. It was incredible. And he's rich. And he's rich. And the guy said, all right, you got one more wish. What's your wish gonna be? So in the bar the man with the big orange head stopped and took a sip of beer and he goes, All right, now I think this is where maybe I went wrong. (laughs) I wish to have a big orange head. And that is the anti joke. it's not bad. Well, you laugh through eighty percent of it, except the punchline. Well, I think though um, the telling of the joke is usually what.
2: Right, people laugh. I, I have to say, like you are one of the better <laughs> joke tellers I've ever met in my entire life. Seriously, it. no, really, you really are. Uh, that's from Patrick and Derek. The anti joke. I think. I think the. Um, I think the punchline or the anti punchline. Mm-hmm. It's not that it wasn't funny. It just needed like a little drumming up. Like, he needed to continue the story slightly more. Like, okay, so for my third wish, I said, I want to have a giant orange head. Okay. Rather than, I think this is where I went wrong. I wished for an orange head. Right. It it fell out
1: of the arc of the the story. The flow,
2: yeah. If they had said it in the same way, I think it would have been fun.
1: All right. Well, I improbbed a lot of that, but I actually did read that last bit as he wrote it, so I'm not going to take credit for ruining the anti-joke. <laughs>
2: Who was it that wrote in?
1: Uh, Patrick wrote in, but it's Patrick and Derek are the jokesters, so uh, thanks, guys. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Derek.
2: Um, seriously, that wasn't irritating at all. That was a fun thrill ride. Yeah. Uh, if you can think of an anti-joke that's actually worth writing in, we want to hear it. We're always good for a uh, good joke or good anti-joke. Um you, if it's pretty good, maybe we'll read some on the air. What do you think?
1: I can read jokes. I could have a whole different podcast called Chuck Reed's Jokes. Okay. Well, I'll sit here and quietly
2: while you do <laughs> record those. Um, you can tweet to us. You can tweet your jokes or anti-jokes to us at SYSK Podcast. You can send us uh, anti-jokes by posting them on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash know. Uh, you can send us an email, stuffpodcast at discovery.com, and as always, you can hang out at our website, uh, com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.
2: Jackthreads has quickly become the online shopping destination for guys. Here's why. Everything on the site is up to 80% off. As a listener of Stuff You Should Know, you can skip the membership waitlist
1: and get instant access. So check it out, dudes. That's signup.jackthreads.com slash no stuff. Ready, set, griddle this grilling season. Get the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. With a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools, it's pre-seasoned and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge. It reaches up to 500 degrees, and the Weber Works Prep Cook-In-Store system keeps cooking supplies handy. You can carry all the food, condiments, and utensils you need. So get fired up for your new Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle.